It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Cat Williams' second interview, this time with Joe Rogan, won't garner as much attention as his first interview with Shannon Sharp. But I think this interview was even better and more important. We'll talk about it today. with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. Thank you for joining me. Today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at Good Ranchers. Fall in love with beef, chicken, and seafood all over again by subscribing at GoodRanchers.com. Use my promo code FEARLESS to get $240 in free bacon with your order. Thank you, Good Ranchers, for hopping back uh, on board with us here at Fearless. We love you. We love the bacon. We love the meat. Thank you for allowing me to do what we're going to do today, and that's entertain and inform and talk with you all about three uh, relatively important topics. Man, when I drink coffee, it has a hard time going down. Three! Anyway, uh, uh, we're going to talk about Cat Williams' interview with Joe Rogan. Uh, we're going to talk about Cam Newton uh, apologizing and doing a pretty decent job of apologizing today for the seven-on-seven fight that he participated in. And then we're planning to end the show uh, talking to Victor Conte. You guys remember Victor Conte uh, from the Balco controversy in sports and from controversy around Alex Rodriguez and performance-enhancing drugs. Victor Conte is scheduled to join us at the end of this show to explain to us how and why athletes are using EPO. Uh, We will further this conversation we had earlier this week about uh, LeBron James and what Kevin Garnett had to say about him. Uh, So stay tuned for all of that. A awesome uh, Friday show. But I want to start with Cat Williams and his interview with Joe Rogan. Cat Williams is turning into one of the most important voices in America. Um, and, and I just wouldn't have seen that coming, but I should have seen it coming. I want you guys to walk back, remember what I said about the foundation of this show. For those of you that are what we call day ones, any of you day one fearless people, If you remember what this show was founded on, the belief that two groups of people have failed the American public, ministers and comedians. Remember I said that, ministers and comedians, and that part of the founding of this show was about being a support, a tool, Uh, necessary encouragement 
for ministers and comedians to stand up and do their jobs and play their role in protecting American freedoms, such as free speech. I said from the very beginning, that's why Uncle Jimmy was a part of the founding of the show. He was supposed to add a comedic element to this show that we have fun with and that I was going to basically play the role of Barnabas, an asset to the disciples, try to create content that ministers, believers, entertainment, people interested in the entertainment industry uh, could watch our content and not see all of their values stomped on, spit upon, defiled. I, I wanted this show to be like, well, if you're a Christian family, a Christian minister, you could recommend to people in your family, people in your Congress, hey, you should watch Fearless with Jason Whitlock. They talk about sports world, the entertainment world, politics, in a way that is friendly to people that have our beliefs. I want it to be, and I want this show to be, an asset for ministers, and I also want it to be putting pressure on ministers to stand up and stand on truth. And the comedic part was about just, we needed a place where we could laugh and have real conversations because that's what comedians do. If, if a society is working properly, ministers stand in pulpits and, and talk about really uncomfortable things from a biblical perspective, which creates the room for the rest of the society to participate in uncomfortable conversations. And then comedians play a similar role. They crack jokes and use irony and humor to point out the insanity of the society. And, and so when ministers and comedians are doing their job, when they're not being politically correct, when they're not <clears throat> playing by the rules of the regime, of the establishment, they're creating space for all of us to talk about the things we really need to talk about. And so when the society says, hey, you know what? <clears throat> it's off limits to talk about George Floyd and his background. We've decided can't do it. Ministers should rush to the pulpit and tell the truth about George Floyd, and comedians should rush to the stage and crack jokes about the truth about George Floyd. That gives everybody else the room to have a authentic conversation about George Floyd, about police officers and uh, black unarmed criminals that resist arrest. See, if ministers and comedians were doing their jobs and, and doing what they were supposed to do from the pulpit and from the stage, we could have real conversations about what's really going on. And so Cat Williams is a comedian doing exactly that. And he's combining both elements. The comic element and the spiritual element. He's forcing us to have real conversations about what's really going on in American society. I wish he didn't cuss as much as he did. I wish he didn't use the N word, but those are all just minor, minor complaints. 
This dude is leading us in a, in a conversation we need to have. And I say that I thought it was great what he did on Shannon Sharp's show, but I think it's even better what he just did on Joe Rogan's show because Joe Rogan's also a comedian and Joe Rogan's also very smart, just like Cat Williams. And so they could have a different conversation than what Cat and Shannon Sharp were having. And I'm not saying that Shannon Sharp is stupid. What I'm saying is Shannon Sharp can't have the conversation that Cat Williams really wants to have and that he's promoting, but Joe Rogan can. And so I, I want to play this clip of Cat talking about transgenderism. I, I, this is amazing, and it opens up the room for all the rest of us to finally have this conversation. Play the clip. Propaganda in Hollywood movies is built into the ingredients list. It's like if you want flour, you need wheat. <laughs> like you're going to have to get the wheat. And if you want to be able to make movies about certain subjects, you have to be willing to work with some people. That You know, it would be nice if you made it so that this is what we're trying to accomplish. And this is showing the, the negative side of this other society. And this is the and this is our hero. This is our hero who's gonna go do America's bidding and go over there and you're like, okay. And those movies are successful. And so they continue this relationship and you become a bit of a propaganda arm <coughs> for the government. And in turn, they don't f with you. <laughs> right. But that's what, that's what makes information so powerful is, you know, you don't care how people feel about the ritual. It's about does following the ritual work. Yeah. And so you can fool yourself into thinking there isn't one, but the evidence will be clear. So like when I, when I be like, all uh, oh, these guys are wearing dresses. And everybody's like, oh, he keeps talking about people wearing dresses. No, it's that not. It's a weird thing. It's not like that. Look at it from a different way. Look at it. Show me one person that ever wore a dress in Hollywood unsuccessfully. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you understand what a ritual is. Mm. So 20 years ago, I knew that transgenders was going to be a thing. It wasn't because I was a prophet. It's just I had gotten so much information that I understood the that pattern. things are secular. So I understood that the earliest I had seen that word transgender was um, Baphomet, the transgender. Um, and so I knew that the, in the ritual of Baphomet, the transgender, to show allegiance to him, you had to kiss his ass ring. Really? And it said both of those things. So I knew that both of those things would become popular in the future and that um, somehow calling people the goat would be normalized over 
the sheep being always the most popular reference. Why is that important? And many of you know that, that it is. But here's a comedian who's a believer, Cat Williams, talking to another comedian who is either has been an atheist or agnostic. And, and he's talking to him about like the satanic energy that is overtaking global culture and American culture and certainly Hollywood culture. And so he's engaged Joe Rogan in a spiritual conversation. If you've been following this show for the last three years, if you've been following my work for the last seven, eight years, that's what I've been talking about. If you remember when I used, when Tucker Carlson was on Fox News and the last five years he was on Fox News, I would always come on talking about like, no, there, there's a spiritual war going on here. This is a battle of good versus evil. And, and th they've changed up my Wikipedia page now to mention that like, hey, uh, Whitlock uh, has said that a lot of what liberalism or the left does is satanic. I'm known for that. And I've been trying to push this conversation to get people to understand what's going on here. We're not in a political war. We're in a spiritual war. And to see Cat Williams, a comedian, leading this conversation and to see Joe Rogan open to this conversation. It gives me hope that there's an awakening going on. And so early in February, uh, Joe Rogan, I believe, had Aaron Rodgers on. And Aaron Rodgers and Joe Rogan got off into a conversation where, where Joe Rogan, maybe a little bit jokingly, maybe not, but Joe Rogan started talking about uh, that we need Jesus. Let's, let's play the clip and take a listen. But I think as time rolls on, people are going to understand the need to have some sort of divine structure to things, some sort of belief in the sanctity of love and of truth. And a lot of that comes from religion. A lot of people's moral compass and the guidelines that they've used to follow to live a just and righteous life has come from religion and unfortunately a lot of very intelligent people they dismiss all the positive aspects of religion because they think that the stories are mere superstitious fairy tales that you know they they have no place in this modern world and you know we're inherently good and your ethics are based on your old moral compass and we all have one and that's not necessarily true we need to we need jesus <laughs> i think for real like if you came back now it'd be great like jesus if you're thinking about coming back right now now's a good time yeah, pretty soon yeah now's a good time so he just unpacked that and this was, I think, in early February. And the only way he could, given his brand and his audience, he's laughing. He's, you know, it's, is he being serious? Is he laughing? No, he's, 
He's figured it out. He's he's smart enough. And and remember, I've been saying for more than a year, and 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 I apologize for referencing that you know I've been saying this because it sounds like I want credit. I just want you all to understand what I've been trying to do and what we have been trying to do with this whole fearless movement and this entire fearless show. I, I've been trying to get you to open your mind to what's really at work here. And I've said, started saying this a year or two ago, that, uh, man, one day Bill Maher, whose entire brand is built on being anti-religious, he's going to have to admit and acknowledge publicly that American culture is better as a Christian culture than as a secular culture. That as a comedian and just as a man, he had more freedom when America was a Christian culture or more of a Christian culture than a secular culture. That the political correctness that Bill Maher has been railing against for the last two or three years is all a byproduct of a godless secular culture. And that someone like Bill Maher, who will never probably be allowed to admit that he was wrong about religious faith and about Christianity, he is going to have to admit that, mm, yeah, Christian culture, far superior to secular culture. And that's what Joe Rogan has basically just laid the groundwork for in his own life. In his and brand is that as we look at this country start stripping away our freedom of speech rights and we look at a country that has this view that a six-year-old or an eight-year-old or a ten-year-old can decide hey I'm a different sex and I want surgery that didn't happen in a Christian culture that happens in a secular culture. And that all the drag queens at schools and reading to our kids and, and taking the kids to go see men gyrate their private parts in kids' face, that's secular culture and it's insane. And just as a man, it's repulsive. And so there's starting to be this awakening among comedians and they're starting to finally push back and they're finally going to have to acknowledge that they have demonized Christian culture and it has cost them their rights, their freedoms, and, and, and they're looking at the moral decay of the society as the society turns more and more secular and continues to look to to themselves for moral clarity, to look for the government to be their provider. When a society, and you don't have to agree with it, but it produces a far superior society. When a society, well, you know what, I need a moral code. Well, let me go to this book that has stood for thousands of years. Let me, this book doesn't change. They're not rewriting it. So if I get my moral code from them, 
it won't move. It won't be, oh, well, they've decided that this or that is popular now, so let me say, you know, you know what? Killing a baby in the womb, that's a constitutional right. We, 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 before this secularization of society, we never thought that. I, I had a uh, former friend, and I, I want to be careful here, because, but I'm just thinking this through in real time. wasn't planning to say this, but it just crossed my mind. I had a, a, a former friend reach out to me this week and, 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 reached out to me in a very good tone and spirit or, or, or whatever, so I, I want to be fair there. But he, he acknowledged that he had spent a lot of time over the previous three to five years uh, laughing with people about me and saying that Jason Whitlock has gone off the deep end. And, and I read this message that he sent me about that, where he's and he's admitting that he was wrong for, for doing that. But, but all I kept focusing on is like, who are these people that are laughing and saying, I've gone off the deep end? Oh, Whitlock's changed. He's gone off the deep end. He's crazy. And so it, 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 the person made a reference to someone in their life who's sexuality issues or whatever. And, 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 and it made me think about Okay, so I've gone off the deep end. So let me walk myself through this. I'm 56. Let's say we went back to 1987. Or we can go 1980, let's say. We go back to 1980. And so in 1980, because of my worldview in 1980, because I was raised in the church and because this is what I thought in 1980 and everybody thought in 1980, if I saw a man dressed up as a woman, we say, man, look at that crazy transvestite. That, that's what we would say in 1980. Say it in 75, say it in 1985, say it in 1995. Hey, there's a transvestite, they're crazy. They need mental help. And so I said that and believe that in 75, 85, 95, 2005, 2015, and today, I say the exact same thing. The people that are laughing at me and saying Whitlock has gone off the deep end. If you're anywhere near my age, ask yourself in 1975, what did you think? about a man dressed up as a woman and claiming to be a woman in 1975. What did you think about them in 85, 95, 2005? I'm standing in the exact same place I was in 1975. I haven't moved. So who's really gone off the deep end? Me or you? Because I know a lot of people who have lived just as long as me. They thought what I thought in 1975. This, this book, this Bible, thought what it thought in 1975. Have I gone off the deep end or have you gone off the deep end? 
Have you changed? Has the society changed? Have we now? Oh, you know what? Rachel Levine. Isn't that his name? Rachel Levine, the, the admiral. Those of you that think he is sane, calling himself a woman, those of you that think Leah Thomas, Bill Thomas swimming against women. You've gone off the deep end. I'm in the exact same spot. I, 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 I digress, but I, I just. Comedians. Ministers. They've gone off the deep end. The jokes they would crack in 1975, they won't crack now. The sermons they would give in 1975 about same sex marriage. The sermons that you could roll up tape of them talking about same sex marriage in 75, 85, 95, 2005, and then put on what they say today. Who's gone off the deep end? That sermon shouldn't have changed, but it has. And all the churches that got the pride flags out front, they've gone off the deep end. But they're pretending and they play a mental game with us. Like, man, y'all crazy. Y'all ain't got on board with what we think now. At some point, Bill Maher and all of these people are going to have to acknowledge there has to be some sort of moral standard established by a higher power. The, the you know, y'all want to ridicule the founding fathers and their terrible people and they own slaves. They wrote some documents that said our powers and rights came from a higher power, from our creator, from God. And now there are people getting on TV acting like the people that believe that their rights and freedoms come from a higher power. They're crazy. I saw this on TV with my own eyes. A woman explaining that all these MAGA Christian nationalists, they think their rights come from God. People in America have been standing on that since 1776. They haven't changed. Who's gone off the deep end and who's allowed it? And so I, I, I look at someone like Cat Williams is a very, very important voice. He's helping others come out of the delusion and come out of the deep end and start moving back towards truth and reality. And, and so many of you get upset. Oh, why does Whitlock criticize this person and that person? And again, this is the conversation. I'd love to to get Cat Williams in this conversation. I, I would love to get Cat Williams in a conversation because we could go all the way there about. There's a group of people. Black people. Who've gone completely off the deep end and are so caught up in worldly success and however much money Hollywood or the entertainment or how many likes they can get over social media, what, that, that we've abandoned all of our beliefs, all of them. 
We've gone off the deep end. And, and y'all get upset with me for pointing out like, are you not looking at the pattern here? These rituals that Cat Williams is talking about? Because there's more than one way to put on a dress. And to kiss the rear end of the Baphomet as Cat Williams talked about. And so as it relates to me and what I talk about on this show and the industry that I'm most informed about the sports media, do y'all think it's a coincidence? Let's look at the three black men that are at the top of the sports media industry. And I think it should very easily be argued it's Charles Barkley, He's the gold standard in studio shows and color commentary, and TNT is paying him a ton of money. He's considered to go studio shows or these debate shows. Stephen A. Smith, ESPN, Disney, they're paying him a bunch of money. And who's the new force to be reckoned with? Who's got next? It's Shannon Sharp. So... What do they all have in common? Shannon Sharp, Stephen A. Smith, Charles Barkley. And just remember, I like Charles Barkley. I like Charles, but I have to speak the truth. I'm, I'm, I, I just have to. And I've got to let the chips fall where they may. And I would love for Charles Barkley, Stephen A. Smith, and Shannon Sharp just to answer the question. Are you kissing the rear end of the Baphomet? Are you? I mean, how can all three of you? These guys are all in my age set, and I've known all of them for a long time. I'm standing in the exact same place I was when I met all three of them. Where are they standing? Have they moved? Have they gone off the deep end? Listen to Shannon Sharp and Stephen A. Smith talk about the gays and the transgenders. You know, people are being really harsh. Uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of gay, transgender people. That there's mm -hmm. a lot of hate and discrimination going on against gay and transgender people. Because I mm -hmm. want to make sure I stand up for those people. Because, you know, there are very few people who are going to have enough power uh, to, to stand up for those type of people. I am a fiscal conservative and a social liberal, which makes me an independent. I'm all for liberalism on the social side. I'm about gay rights, transgender rights, et cetera, et cetera, uh, pro-choice. I'm all about gay rights, transgender rights, and I'm pro-killing babies in the womb. Th that, that's... He's tossing the salad of the Baphomet with those words. That's what verbal salad tossing sounds like. Charles Barkley doing the exact same thing. Shannon Sharp. This man, professional football player. Uh, yeah, I've known Shannon for a long time. This man front and centered himself with his gay stylist. I can't remember the dude's name, but he had to, Hollywood. Hollywood something, that's his nickname, Hollywood. 
this this has to be a ritual. Who does this? What father, what parent, what what grown man in his 50s says, you know what? I'm going to get brand new. And I'm going to parade around at Lakers games and everywhere I can for a year solid with my gay stylist. Hollywood, who has already been sexually connected to Kerry Rhodes and NFL safety. And some Dallas Cowboys wide receiver at some point, everybody. This was Hollywood's reputation. He turned out and turned up with NFL players. And Shannon Sharp makes it a point on his social media feed and everywhere he can. Lakers games, everywhere. We sit in courtside. We're not sitting up in a suite away from the cameras. We sit in courtside. Like Jay and Bay. Who does this? It's a ritual. There's more ways to put the dress on. And y'all get upset with me, or some of y'all get upset with me for pointing it out that there are people caught up in this spiritual war and they're on the wrong side in team. And y'all keep trying to pick sides and teams based on skin color. And that's blinding you from the truth. Just because someone's black and they're doing a full on salad tossing with the Baphomet, their black skin does not immunize them, does not legitimize them. It doesn't make them right. This is a ritual. We're in a good versus evil battle. And I'm sorry if I'm spending the time pointing out to you, like, these guys ain't on the right team. You can get mad at me all you want, but you're really just telling on yourself, saying, you know what? I want to be on the Baphomet team. How can I toss his salad? And get some of them tight clothes that Shannon Sharp wears, the, the jewelry that, Shan, uh, that, that any of these guys wear. How, you're willing to do anything. And so I, I just want to hat tip Cat Williams for creating the space to have this conversation. And I would love to see ministers following in behind Cat Williams and having these real conversations about these idols that have been set up for us to worship and follow. And then judge these idols, including Deion Sanders. Judge these idols based off of what they're truly representing. Radical materialism. The, Satan has a long list of rewards. And, and that's why they love to talk about, well, I'm a physical conservative, a fiscal conservative, and a social liberal. Everybody thinks that's the new thing to say and to be. Yeah, I want my money, and, and I want them to stop illegal immigrants or whatever, but, but socially, I'm liberal. If I decide to toss some salad, I want to toss some salad. That, that's all Stephen A. is saying. That's all many of you are saying. 
because you don't want to get in with both feet because they have convinced you that being black means you're sexually fluid. Being black means I'm good with going to prison. And if I got to lay up with a bunch of men for two or three years because I can't limit my desire to acquire material things illegally, I'm good with going to boys camp for three, four, five, 10, 15, 20 years. I'm good with that. And it's a rite of passage. That's why I was, didn't we play it yet? No, I th there's a video of Meek Mill. Shmeek and I are gonna talk about it on Saturday. This guy talking with another dude, another two dudes that have been up in prison and they're sitting up talking about, man, losing a celly is like losing a chick. And, and, and I'm sorry, y'all wanna colorize all of this and say that, that, that oh, you talk about white people. And, and, and trust me, White people are making the exact same decisions. Many white people are at the top of this entertainment industry that are laying out the funds. Here's the rewards for tossing the salad of the Baphomet. I, I get it. But I want to address the racial angle of this because the racial angle of this is being used to legitimize it. And, and stopping everybody from talking about it. Well, because if you talk about it, you're racist. And so I don't want to talk about uh, this sexual fluidity that's so rampant and pervasive throughout American culture. And that, again, because this whole transgender thing, there's a lot of white kids doing this. But nobody wants to talk about that. They'll put color on it. You know, black transgenders are the most vulnerable. And so you black people get on board with transgenderism. Toss the salad of the Baphomet. Cat Williams, uh, thank you. Joe Rogan, uh, thank you. Uh, you know, Joe Rogan's not all the way there. I'm going to spend the weekend, because it's a three-hour interview with Cat, and you know, I only got so much time, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch the entire Cat interview uh, this weekend because... Uh, it's fascinating what's going on. And, and, and the very people that I identified at the jump who should be leading this conversation, at least one half of them, the comedians, are starting to lead this conversation. We gotta get ministers on board with getting in the dirt, getting dirty, and dealing with these issues from the pulpit and from wherever else they speak. We're in a good versus evil war. Cat Williams knows it, had a conversation with Joe Rogan about it. Joe Rogan's open to the discussion. Previously, he would be laughing at people for even bringing up Jesus Christ. Now he's bringing it up. Now he recognizes the consequences of abandoning a biblical worldview. Uh, as we sit here today, the lives of babies still in the womb hang in the balance. I want to talk to you for a minute about the most important and pressing issue of our day, the lives of the unborn. They need our help. The ministry of preborn empowers young expectant mothers in crisis to choose life. 
Preborn has rescued hundreds of thousands of babies' lives through ultrasound. When a woman considering abortion visits a preborn center, she gets to hear her baby's heartbeat and meet that precious child on ultrasound. It's a divine encounter. The majority of the time, she will choose life for her baby. I'm proud to be affiliated with the organization that's not only working to save lives, but is succeeding. Preborn has a passion to save unborn babies from abortion and see women come to Christ. Over the past 15 years, preborn centers have counseled over 450,000 women considering abortion, and over 200,000 babies have been saved. Those are amazing numbers, but let's do more. Will you help rescue babies? To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or do it the way I like to do it. Preborn.com slash fearless. All right, stay tuned when we come back. <clears throat> I want to talk about Cam Newton and the apology he gave today. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Vince Everett Ellison, previously on Fearless. You're going to stand in front of God and say, I knew that if I voted for this Democrat, he was going to kill these children. God says, you knew that and you voted for him. You say, yes, I did. Well, you're complicit in murder. Because if you want to know what evil is, I'll make it easy for you. Evil is anyone that would harm a child. And Jesus Christ said, Anyone that will harm one of these little ones is better than a millstone be tied around his neck and he'd be thrown into the sea. Well, I hope these Democrats can swear. Hey, guys. I look forward to every time I can share the good news of our sponsor and friends from Cardio Miracle. The team at Cardio Miracle, they're patriots, health, liberty advocates, and passionate about the well-being of the unborn. They are investing every day in nitric oxide and vitamin D3 research to help veterans with PTSD, brain injuries, for athletes, surgery recovery, giving the elderly hope and mobility, and supporting those with chronic illnesses like heart disease, diabetes, kidney disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, and the other challenges many are facing. You guys have heard me talking about me using Cardio Miracle. I love it. I take it probably three to four times a day. You only need to take it twice a day, but it's, it's, it tastes like Kool-Aid to me. It is extremely healthy. Uh, it's, it won't jack with your blood sugar. It's not, but I love it. It helps me drink more and more water. 
but it's also helping me with, ant with inflammatory issues and all other kinds of issues. I've had people, a man, I think his name is Mark, emailed me uh, last week. Jason, thank you so much for turning me on to Cardio Miracle. I'm not exaggerating, Jason. I went to the doctor. My blood pressure was 160 over 110. In the month I've been taking Cardio Miracle, my, you know, with exercise and Cardio Miracle, my blood pressure is now down to 120 over 70. I'm hearing real life testimonies from strangers that are taking it and from my own family and friends that are taking Cardio Miracle. I can't recommend anything more highly to you than Cardio Miracle. It comes with a Fearless Army friendly 60 day unconditional money back guarantee. Try today and you will never feel this good from a drink this easy to take. There are no synthetic ingredients, no GMO, no sugar, no stimulants, minimal calories, and uses the finest natural organic flavors. It is like a smooth, smooth smoothie. Or <laughs> to me, it tastes like I'm drinking Kool-Aid. It's amazing, it's a game changer. Uh, go to cardiomiracle.com slash fearless. Use my promo code fearless to get 10% off your first order. You can subscribe and save an additional or 15% off with free shipping. That's cardiomiracle.com slash fearless. People, I'm telling you, I love it. Don't deny yourself. Cardio Miracle. All right, I want to switch up, <clears throat> talk a little bit about Cam Newton. I want to play you. Uh, Cam this morning uh, released his, I think it's fourth and one podcast, he calls it. And at the end of it, after about 30 minutes, he gets to the conclusion where he talks about that seven on seven fight uh, that he was involved in. You, you guys remember the earlier this week, I think it was on Sunday. Video came out, I think Sunday night. Cam was involved in a little bit of a brawl in Atlanta, seven on seven for kids. Uh, Cam today spoke and cleared the air. And, and again, if you remember, I was critical because a lot of people spent a lot of time talking about demonizing kids and all oh, these kids are ungrateful and how could these kids show Cam this disrespect? And I said at that time, I was like, uh, I don't think these are kids. These are uh, former coaching friends of Cam and these are grown men that attack Cam, not kids. And, and, and I said that more than likely Cam was involved and, and was talking trash as he's prone to do and that he needs to understand that as a leader, he's gonna be held to a different standard and he needs to conduct himself as a leader. And, and so I listened, I listened to this this morning, I, I hopped in the chat during Cam's live stream of it and uh, chatted at him or whatever. And <laughs> at one point he chatted back and said that, uh, you know, he, he would have banned me a long time ago, but he wanted me to hear uh, what he was saying today. And <clears throat> I, I have to say, for the most part, I was impressed with what Cam had to say. He took a lot of responsibility uh, for what happened here and said a lot of the right things. Uh, we'll start, I believe, with SOT 4, where he talked about how his emotions got the best of him. What'd they say? Don't make a rational judgment yeah. in the heat of the moment. And there's times where that wasn't even the worst 
that I've been through. You see what I'm saying? Like I've rendered my time and people's People think like, why is Cam doing this? It's like, no, I, I cannot. I owe a due diligence. I owe a service to the kids to say like, hey, if I see Cam, this is my opportunity to touch him, to talk to him, to laugh with him, to, you know, compete with him. Yeah. This is the only time that they may see somebody. So dare I say I'm not going to ever do it again, but yeah. I just let that situation escalate in a way that I, I didn't so it didn't need to happen first off I, I went rogue pay not rogue I went I scrambled and I, I should have just stayed, stayed in, the, in pocket. the pocket bro you feel me but this is what I really want the narrative to be to every single high school player to every single person of influence to every single athlete use my situation as a way to understand that in one moment and one decision your life can change just like that and I let my emotions get the best of me and it should not have been called for uh I I, I want to play I think SOT 7 where Cam says uh, he doesn't give back uh, to be seen. So there were some good elements of what Cam did here, and I have to applaud him. He took a lot of responsibility and said a lot of things that I really agreed with. Let's play SOT 7. I just, uh, my heart goes out to everybody who played a role and, and, and supported me through and through, but we got to be better, and it starts with me. My heart goes out to my family. My heart goes out to yeah, everybody. I can't apologize. I don't apologize enough. I, and and uh, I just know, bro, my heart is still in, in, in a place to, to still give and not give to be seen. Give to be to have the impact because mm-hmm. how I get fulfilled in it is when somebody comes to me that's in the league, out of the league, have a family now. I wouldn't be in this position if it weren't for Cam Newton and the C1A organization. Bro, you was my father figure. You was my big brother. You was the dude that I looked up to. I seen how you came to practice and I seen you proved to me that I didn't need to sell drugs to get a urus. You, you, you proved to me like I didn't need to rob nobody to get a wraith. I seen all that. Like, coach, you empowered me. And that's all I want to keep doing is the empower, empowering the next generation. So before he got to the apology at the end, the, probably the last 20 minutes of his video, uh, he did some other things on the 4th and 1 podcast that I'm not sure if he knew were related to what he was saying at the end, but maybe he did. But, but it was interesting to me. I want to play. He, he talked about uh, mostly good-naturedly or all good-naturedly about this. there's this little four-, five-, six-year-old boy that is – coaching a basketball team it looks like of older kids and and cam's takeaway was like if you look at the mannerisms of this little kid pretending to be a coach it it speaks to how kids pay attention and they see everything i believe it's sot number five let's play that look at him man Ah. no way now the question is, 
He got all the mannerisms. Yeah, who yeah. is he watching like that? But that, but coming from a parent, that this just goes to show you that your kids see everything. Mm. For that, for that right there, I, I think we are living in a day and age that impact still comes in many shapes, forms, and sizes. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think for whoever that young man or little kid is is watching and looking up to, don't change. Um, me growing up in the church, you would always see like all these child preachers and all this and that, and even coaches. I've seen even a, a, a little kid referee. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's it's crazy. It's, it's it's admirable to just see where the expansion of of the prodigy child, how it looks now. Yeah. So that's Cam acknowledging that kids see everything and, and that they, they mimic what they see. And that's probably what led him to be more humble in his apology because he recognized like, man, kids are going to see this video and I'm looking kind of wild and foolish here. I regret that. Uh, and then I want to play one last shot where Cam is talking about uh, coaches as father figures in single parent homes. Play the shot. It's sad to say, but if we just being honest, a lot of our kids are being raised in single parent households. So our coaches serve as father figures to these kids. Our coaches serve as male positive role models for these kids. The truth of the matter is this, me being in my position, I should have never put myself in that position. Mm -hmm. That's just the truth. Cause even then it's like, that shit could have got ugly. Like for real, it, it could have. And that's why I'm trying to bring the, the seriousness to this situation. Like we can laugh about it, we can, we can play and, and I will always try to bring humor into something that's lighthearted, but this is a serious situation that I even seen a clip that said like, yo, like people are laughing, but they weren't laughing about Nipsey. Yeah, that's true. You know what I'm saying? Or call it, call it what you want. It's like, what if serious injury would have happened on either side? Uh, yeah. Something happened to me, something happened to them. Now my eight children are fatherless now. Mm. And so that, again, is the conundrum, the enigma of Cam Newton. If, if, all those clips we played together, he grew up in the church. And he understands he has a responsibility to give back, uh, to serve young people. Uh, but he's got eight kids. And he don't have a wife, and he's got multiple baby mamas, and Cam is still trying to figure things out. He's making progress here. He took a lot of responsibility. And everybody, this is the grace that I'm offering him. Many of you all, I think, wanna provide too much grace and just overlook everything because he's rich and he said, oh, and he's giving back and he's doing this, and so let's just overlook everything. That's, that's not, what I'm gonna do, it's not what I think is the proper thing to do. If, if Cam somehow sees this video, I, I know it comes across Cam like I despise you and just think you're the worst thing on the planet. 
I don't. But but I, I do know what talent, which God gave you in great abundance. And then the world gave you money in great abundance. And all that talent and all that money can blind you and make you unaware of the details. And it, it, it and so I, I would just ask you, Cam, to because I think your heart's in the right place, but I just don't think you understand the details. And so there's a level of sacrifice that's required for leadership and you want to be a leader. Sacrifice is hard. None of us really want to sacrifice. But those of us that call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, we have to sacrifice in a real, real, in a way that hurts. Not in a way that's comfortable. And so what I'm talking about is, Cam, how you carry yourself, how you present yourself. If you want to be a leader, and part of Cam's problem with me, I'm sure, is when he was a quarterback, I was very hard on him as a leader. And I was like, Cam, the way you're dressing, it does not work for the leadership position. The hats and the bonnets and all the stuff you were in, all the over-the-top dressing, that, that's not it. That will not work over the long haul as a quarterback and a leader of men in a locker room. If you're a wide receiver, a tight end, a defensive end, all of that is appropriate. But if you want to be a leader at the quarterback position, there's some sacrifices you have to make your own personality and preferences. Now, I'll give you an example, Cam. Anybody, and my audience gets tired of me hearing and talk about it because I'm not because it's hard. It is hard. Pushing away from the table from me, putting that fork down really hard. I'd rather just give in to my personality and be gluttonous. I, that's my personality. That's what makes me happy. But if I want to be a leader, I got to push away from that table and I got to put the fork down. And so, Cam, the leader that you want to be and the leader that kids need, and I know you won't understand this, but the hair, the hat, the style of dress, all of that matters because it's all a distraction. And you talked about distractions. And, and so you've been convinced that if you change up your style, that if you don't uh, dress flamboyantly in a way that makes you happy and feels calm, you're selling out. The, the world is going to tell you that that you're selling out and you shouldn't have to do that. And I, I'm going to be black and this is part of my blackness. It's standing in your way of leadership. It's, it's what it's, it's, there's no humility with it. And leadership is very humble. Service is very humble. And so the person that comes in with the loudest suit and the loudest style of dress and the loudest appearance, there's no humility in that. That's, hey, look at me. And the trash talk and all that. Yeah, that's what we do in 707. Leaders don't. Now, when you decide to run an organization and you want to stand as a symbol for young men to follow, 
It's a very humble, it's a very quiet spirit that you must emote. And again, the trash talk is what led you to get out of control. It has to be eliminated. There are sacrifices that you have to make. That's why I'm spending all year talking about sacrifice and its relationship to growth. Growth requires sacrifice. And so many of the things that make us happy, that, that feed our egos, we have to be willing to sacrifice if we want to serve in the way the Lord would like us to serve. And if we want to have the impact that we want to really have and are capable of. And I know just like you, there are many kids that, oh, I love Cam and Cam did this or that for me and blah, blah, blah. But if you humbled yourself, whatever positive feedback you're getting now, it would multiply by 50 or 100 times. The number of kids you would reach if they look at Cam like, man, Cam's worth $100 million. But look how humbly he presents himself. Look at how he allows the attention to go every place else other than Cam. He's not dressed in a way that makes everybody focus on Cam. He's dressed in a way that he blends in so that they can see these young people that he's cultivating and developing. Just a thought, Cam. I, I, I know you think I hate you and I, I don't. I just think you've been given a lot, great deal of potential. Had you taken some of my advice while you were in the NFL, you'd probably still be in the NFL and you would love to still be in the NFL. And, and part of the advice I'm giving you is, is in a different way, in, in a different way, because it wasn't the exact same advice. But I've seen this all before. I grew up with Jeff George, who as a quarterback had just as much talent as you. He couldn't run like you, but that ball came out of his hands better than anybody that's ever played football. And there reached a point where his talent got in the way of some of these other things that would have elongated his career. Jeff George could have had Tom Brady's career if he had just tweaked a few things, presented himself a little bit differently. Great, I'm talking, Jeff George is a great human being. Trust me, as a friend, as a believer, I couldn't have a better friend. But there's some things he could have tweaked that would have allowed him to achieve all the success that he had the talent to achieve in football. Same thing I was trying to communicate to you. As men, we have to be willing uh, to deal with uh, harsh, constructive criticism. If we think someone's coming from an honest place, maybe you think I'm coming from a dishonest place and that's why you're dismissing it, but I'm really not. I, I would love, I would have loved to see you going to be the greatest quarterback in NFL history. I was all on board early on. Again, you reminded me of John Elway, my favorite NFL player. Anywho, uh, that's all I want to say about Cam. Uh, we're going to bring on uh, Victor Conte next and talk a little bit about uh, EPO and the drugs that these athletes are using. Revisit the uh, LeBron James conversation a bit uh, with Victor Conte next.
Hello, Fearless Army. I'm Jason Whitlock, your leader. I'm going to spend 2024 discussing growth and sacrifice. Hard times are here. Harder times are coming. What has stopped American growth and caused a regression in fundamental freedoms and values? A lack of sacrifice. Our ancestors sacrificed for our benefit. We have not sacrificed to protect the progress they died for. No sacrifice, no freedom. What impedes man's willingness to sacrifice? His ignorance, his perversion, his pride, his ingratitude, and his cowardice, his rejection of God. The Bible is a story about the power and the necessity of sacrifice. Sacrifice is the sun, rain, and fertilizer of growth. Growth is our life purpose. Grow in the knowledge, wisdom, fear, obedience, and reverence to the Most High. Growth requires sacrifice will be our theme for Roll Call 2.0 this summer, June 1, right back here in Nashville. We're excited to welcome you. Let me spend a minute explaining what G-R-O-W-T-H actually stands for for us in the Fearless Army. The G is for game plan. In order to properly grow, it's essential we work from the strategic game plan spelled out in the Bible. The R, responsibility. As we grow as men, we understand and accept our responsibilities to God, family, and teammates. The O, ownership. We embrace ownership of our destiny. Outsiders do not determine our fate. The W, wisdom. We honor, value, and share the wisdom imparted to us by elders, coaches, and leaders. The T, trust. We must be worthy of trust. The reliability of a man's word defines him far more than popularity and material possessions. The H, humility. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. That's straight from Proverbs 22 and four. Come join us in Nashville as we talk about growth and sacrifice and how without sacrifice, there will be no growth. Roll Call 2.0 right here in Nashville, Saturday, June 1st. He could actually play above the rim a little bit. When he had to dunk, he would do it. He wasn't Dominique Wilkins. When they find Wilkins, look out. Dominique Wilkins, the human highlight film. But he could get the ball in with authority. Also, he had a very sneaky first step. I've watched a lot of Larry Bird because you had to play right up on his chest. They're down to five seconds. They loop it to Bird. Little pump fake off the parish. And the thing was, he had the best ball fakes I've ever seen from a perimeter player. Bird, little fake down the lane. Oh, Larry Bird! So the things that he did, and he was a legitimate tough guy. So, Doncic and Joker, please keep dominating these soft sissies. Bumped. He slapped himself in the mouth. Oh, what a loser! All right, welcome back. Uh, can't wait to get into this interview with uh, Victor Conte, former owner of the Bay Area Laboratory Cooperative, better known as Balco, uh, founder and chief now of executive of SNAC, I think S-N-A-C. 
uh, let's say sports and nutrition deal. Uh, but I, you know what? I want to let Victor Conte introduce himself. We want to have a discussion about EPO, performance enhancing drugs, and where we're at in professional sports right now in this moment. Uh, Kevin Garnett and, and Paul Pierce sparked a little bit of a controversy around LeBron James. Uh, Victor Conte, uh, welcome uh, to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Glad to have you. And so I don't want to go with Wikipedia's uh, definition of Victor Conte. So I would like for you uh, to take 60, 90 seconds and just define who Victor Conte is and, and your association with the sports world. Define yourself. Well, believe it or not, until I was 33, I was a professional musician. A, a funk and jazz <laughs> uh, bass player. I played with groups like the Tower of Power and the jazz pianist Herbie Hancock. And I made about 20 albums that are still available online. So I had an extensive music career. Uh, then I had three kids <clears throat> and uh, three girls. And uh, I needed to find a way to not travel so much. So I had this opportunity to found Balco in 1984. And it was a clinical laboratory that uh, used a, a technology called an ICP, uh, atomic emission spectrometer, basically, in, in lay terms, we analyzed minerals and trace elements. And from the very beginning, I just had this knack because I was a track athlete in, in two, up through two years of college. And so the first athletes that I worked with were under Bill Dillinger at the University of Oregon, who was the... Uh, coach for the track team at the 84 Olympics in Los Angeles. And this was in 85, and, and that's when I uh, started working with Alberto Salazar, who at that time was the world record holder in the marathon. Then that led to working with Matt Biondi and swimmers at UC Berkeley. And of course, he became the world record holder in the 1500 meters, the world's fastest swimmer. And then that led to uh, the NFL and track and field athletes. And eventually uh, I worked with over 250 NFL players. And I did work for two seasons with the Seattle Supersonics, if you remember back in the day, 92, 93, 93, 94, with Sean Kemp and Gary Payton in that group under Frank Furtado, the, uh, the strength and conditioning coach. So for 19 years, um, I owned Balco. For 16 of those years, everything I did was was on the up and up. There was no uh, sort of PEDs involved. And then uh, <clears throat> once I got to that elite level in Olympic sport, and I realized that I'll say the overwhelming majority of the elite athletes were using PEDs, and uh, there, there's a, what I guess you would call it a use or lose mentality. And then of course I made that decision to go down the slippery slope and, and join that culture turned out to be a, a huge mistake in many ways because of the damage and harm that it, that it did to my family and, and the athletes' families that I was working with. But uh, that's kind of a history of, of how we got through the Balco period and, of course, all the federal uh, you know, indictment and all that, which basically, it, as it turned out, uh, it was all based on, on lies. I mean, there were all sorts of false information that was in the the uh, reports, the memorandums of interview and and uh, activity. And and if you remember at the end, uh, there was a headline that said 40 of 42 Balco charges dropped. 
So I pled to two real simple uh, charges of, you know, uh, distributing uh, a testosterone cream prescription that I had, as well as uh, a money laundering in an amount of $100, likely the smallest uh, money laundering case in the in the history of the United States judicial system. And uh, <clears throat> they brought in 40 athletes and, and before the grand jury. And so to avoid a trial and having everybody have to come in and testify, et cetera, I decided to accept full consequences. And I went to a minimum uh, security prison camp for a period of four months. Since then, uh, I've become an outspoken anti-doping advocate. And all the way through, people think it's new, but I actually founded Balco in, in 1984. And SNAC, that acronym standing for Scientific Nutrition for Advanced Conditioning, in 1987. So I had both throughout the whole time frame. And then uh, around 2005, I started uh, as an anti-doping uh, advocate and started working with elite boxers in 2009. And from then until now, I have uh, I have an, a, a futuristic training facility here in San Carlos, south of San Francisco, and I've worked with 28 world champions in the last decade, boxing champions. Victor, I'm glad I asked that question because uh, I, I appreciate the transparency and the honesty, and I just wanted to give my audience an update because you, you've been out of the news cycle for quite a while. But before I get into my more serious questions, let me give you an opportunity to, <laughs> I have a bit of a sense of humor. So can I crack a joke? Can I ask you a silly question? Sure you can. That, without that's that's one of my only conditions I forgot to give to your producers is I love to play hardball, but, but at the same time, uh, my only rule is, is that we have some fun. All right. So I'm going to ask a very politically incorrect, inappropriate question. Uh, in your work with the Seattle Supersonics, did you ever prescribe condoms or a vasectomy to Sean Kemp? Uh, no, but I did uh, one time go into the locker room uh, uh, at the uh, uh, the Golden Warriors Arena and uh, see some of these guys going into the shower and and uh, you know I, I saw I saw that uh, some pretty interesting things. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that was not the response I was expecting, but that's what I get for asking a silly question. Uh, so are you, do you want, we'll you, what do you want to know? That the black myth is true? Is that where we're going with it? No, no, no. no. I was, you know, Sean Kim's got a bunch of babies is what I was cracking the joke know. about. I know, I know. But yes, they. they <laughs> well, you know what? Since you've been years, in the program, they did take Michael Jordan yeah. and and the Bulls to seven games, but they lost. But there was no hanky panky yeah. whatsoever. I did blood testing <laughs> for the entire team, and then I put together individualized recommendations in terms of supplements and sent everything to Frank Furtado, and he distributed to all the players and monitored their consumption and so on. All right. Uh, how big of a problem, we got an expert here, how big of a problem is doping, PEDs, EPO, whatever, performance-enhancing drugs in the major professional sports leagues, right, the four major ones, how big of a problem is it today? Worse or it's better It's a massive than problem. It's a huge problem. And the reason is because those who receive the majority of the financial gain, meaning the owners, do not have a genuine interest in catching those who are using the PEDs. 
the programs that they have designed are in essence designed to enable them and harbor them from for using PEDs. So uh, none of the professional sports have effective uh, drug testing programs, no matter what they say. Mm. Uh, so walk us through, give us a layman's explanation or something we can understand how this EPO thing works. Okay, EPO is called erythropoietin is the technical name. And what EPO does is it stimulates the production of red blood cells. So imagine on a red blood cell, it's like a, it's like a little bus that has seats on it. There's an area on the, each red blood cell called the hemoglobin. And this is where the oxygen molecules and nutrients attach themselves. So each time you take a breath, uh, these nutrients and oxygen gets transported down to your legs and into the muscle tissue. It's a two-way street. Once they're there, they're, imagine they're like turn into little dump trucks, and then they pick up what they call the metabolic waste byproducts, lactic acid, ammonia, carbon dioxide, and they transport those back, and those are exhaled, okay? So it's delivering more oxygen and accelerating the removal of the collective fatigue acids. So a description of what this does is it makes you like a machine. You simply do not get tired, okay? You can go again and again and again. Your recovery is phenomenal. Now, when they raided Balco, they were in shock, the, the anti-doping the anti uh, people, because they saw that I was giving EPO to 60-meter world champions, 100-meter Olympic gold medalists, and they said, well, wait a second, we're not even testing anybody for EPO that's less than a marathon or, or a 10,000 meter or 20,000 meters because those events last a couple hours, why would he possibly be giving EPO to a 60 meter sprinter where the race lasts seven seconds and 100 meters maybe nine, 10 seconds? Well, it's a training drug, okay? So how long do you train? You train two or three hours a day. So the, the more intense and the greater the number of repetitions over a period of time enhances your performance tremendously when you step up to run that seven second race over 60 meters. So EPO is, is I would say, it's the single most powerful drug for performance enhancement that exists. More so than growth hormone, more so than, than testosterone, more so than any of the anabolic steroids. EPO is the king. Is there a downside to EPO? That sounds very healthy. That sounds well, like something no, every course, man course would want. A, of course there's a downside. There, there is prevalent use of EPO in the Tour de France with the cyclists, okay? However, it thickens your blood by producing more red blood cells, and you have something called the hematocrit, which is the percentage of red blood cells to total whole blood volume, and normal for your hematocrit is about 45%, but the cyclist will kick it up to say 55%. Now, what that does is your, your blood could clot and you could have a stroke and you could die. And there's probably been more than 20 uh, elite cyclists uh, in, in the Tour de France who have died from using EPO. So it is also the most dangerous of all performance enhancing drugs. But you also, you didn't say it, but you insinuate, it's probably the most popular 
as well. Athletes are willing to take this risk. I, I wouldn't say it's the most popular. It, it's it's the most effective, but but it takes a real uh, more scientific a person to understand how to use this. The most popular would be synthetic testosterone. And to tell you a little bit about that, there are many different delivery systems. Let me just give you an example. You can microdose with a needle. You can take creams and gels and rub them on your arm. You have a lot of capillaries on the, the backside of your knee and, and the opposite side of your elbow. You can take what they call a trochee. A trochee looks exactly like a lifesaver. They come in 30 different flavors. Would you like cinnamon, grape, or lemon? On a daily basis, a male produces about seven milligrams of testosterone. These trochees, they're like a, a lozenger. They'll have 75 milligrams of testosterone, and it, and it enters into the capillaries under the tongue. About 10% is absorbed. So if you put a trochee in your mouth on a daily basis, you can double your testosterone from seven milligrams a day to 14. You take two trochees, you can go from seven milligrams to 21 milligrams a day. The test that is used in the NBA and, and football and baseball is called the TE ratio test, the testosterone to epitestosterone ratio. They allow a four to one. Normal is one to one. So you can triple your testosterone level and fly under that radar and test below the allowable limit. So th there's also another uh, way you do this that, that is called a, a testopel. And what this is, it's like a little, uh, about the size of a grain of rice, and they call it a pellet. And you can insert this, you make a little incision in your buttocks and you you push this in with a with a, a something called a troscar. And it time releases testosterone over a period of five months. And there's a famous case with a boxer named Lamont Peterson, who in a world title fight in D.C., he uh, doing state commission where they had a six to one T.E. ratio, he tested normal. Then he had a rematch with, with Amir Khan, and he was tested by a company called VADA, Voluntary Anti-Doping Association out of Las Vegas that tests the boxers. And they use a more expensive and sophisticated test called CIR, carbon isotope ratio testing, for synthetic testosterone. His TE ratio came back at 3.77 to 1. They wouldn't have caught him. They did this more expensive test, and it came back as a positive. So the NBA does not use carbon isotope ratio testing unless you have a positive or elevated TE ratio. Then they bring it in as what they call a confirmatory test. So is it easy to circumvent the TE ratio test used in baseball, football, and basketball? The answer is it's like taking candy from a baby. It, it, it sounds... I'm, I'm going to move you a little bit off your area of expertise and just more into speculating and perhaps gossiping with me. But what I'm hearing you describe is ownership's disinterest in actually addressing this. And, and part of the reason why they have a disinterest, perhaps, is because they're saying, hey, man, we're paying guys 30, 40 million dollars a year to play a game. And uh, you know what? If they want to risk their lives in pursuit of this money, 
I'm not going to whine and cry about it. I'm not going to look out for them. Uh, and so perhaps it's the amount of money the athletes are making, and it kind of justifies in ownership's mind of like, yep, these guys are mercenaries. We're paying them a good money. If they want to kill themselves in pursuit of this, have at it, guys. And because of the, the uh, lack of sincerity, where they do not have a, a genuine interest in catching these, these athletes, the use or lose mentality is developed. And if, and if you as a player know <clears throat> that the competitor's using it, then you've got to do what you've got to do in order to be competitive. And that's why they step over the line. Now, would a lot of these players like to compete naturally? <clears throat> I'm sure that they would. But it's, it's the, the organizational uh, lack of interest. And it's just all the way to the Olympic Games as well. The testing is is very weak there as well. So you've got, you know, in Olympics, as we saw with Russia in 2016, you've got state-sponsored doping. This is what you had back in the 70s with the with with the East Germans and those in the uh, Eastern Bloc, Czechoslovakia, and so on, where they were actually giving these kids, you know, oral terenobol or little blue vitamins when they were little kids, you know, bringing them up. It's all about winning. It's all about the money, you know. And and on a global scale, let me say this: there's something called TOP, which is the Olympic Program. That Olympic Program is the sponsors, and there are about twelve of these sponsors, including <clears throat> in the beginning McDonald's and Coca-Cola and Dupont and Sansom and <clears throat> all the rest of them. And they had to contribute over $100 million per Olympics. So you have this fund of $1.2 billion. When WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, was first formed in 1999 for the 2000 Olympics, this was per the request of the top program. They said, we're tired of our logos <clears throat> being tarnished by these positive drug tests, so we want a drug program to be put in place. So was WADA founded to protect the health and safety of the athletes and create a level playing field? No, it was founded entirely to protect taint of positive drug tests from getting on the, the logos of the sponsors of the Olympic Games. So there's corruption in the Olympics from the top to the bottom. I believe the same is the case in all of the major sports today, it's all, they're looking the other direction. They don't want to catch people. They lack transparency. If you look at football today and a guy does something, they don't even tell you what drug he tests positive for. The public doesn't get to know. You know, oh, he got a two-game suspension or a four-game suspension. What was he doing? Sorry, but we don't tell anybody. Now, when you have a lack of transparency, right there, I have issues because the public deserves to know who is taking what and how much and when. And they're completely holding this information back. Can the problems you're articulating, can they be fixed and solved? Sure, put me in charge. Put me in charge, I'll clean it up in a heartbeat. The rules are designed to enable, harbor, and promote elite athletes' use of drugs. There was a survey done in, in 2004 after Balco in Sports Illustrated where they said the most coveted of all gold medals is the world's fastest human title, the 100 meters. 
They asked 2,500 people, would you rather see a pedestrian 10.2 in the 100 meters knowing that the, the gold medalist was squeaky clean, or would you rather see a new world record at that time, 9.65, knowing that the athlete was juiced to the gills? 70% said, give me the world record on juice. So this is the mentality that you have of the fans as well. Now, I know there's a certain faction, and, and I do not have as much of a problem with baseball, football, basketball, non-contact sports. But when you get to boxing, where the objective is bodily harm and brain damage, you need to keep this clean. And so I've been working and putting all of my athletes through something called VADA, the Voluntary Anti-Doping Association run by Margaret Goodman uh, in Las Vegas. And they have much more stringent testing of all prohibited substances at all times, okay? And as opposed to Olympic caliber sport, where they have an in-competition and out-of-competition list of drugs they use, so unless you're competing the out-of-competition there are 82 substances, which are all of the stimulants and all of the narcotics that are not even tested for. So it's use all the speed you like, use all the amphetamines that you want. We're not testing for it. Well, these can be very dangerous. So the rules, you know, the, the, like I say, the, the, the gold standard in my mind today is VADA. It is not USADA. It is not the global uh, water code that they call it, which is all the rules that Olympic sport abide by. I, I think that they're designed to enable, harbor, and promote the use of drugs. And let me give you a good example of that. It used to be there's something <clears throat> called a missed test. And in Olympic sport, if you missed, it used to be uh, before January 2015, it used to be that if you missed two tests within an 18 month period, it was okay. The third test was the same as a positive. Then they changed the rule that you could miss two tests within a year and the third one would be a positive. Well, what that means is like a speeding ticket on your driving record, you, you'd have to wait longer for that oldest ticket to drop off before you could get another ticket before you lost your license. They made it easier to cheat. Why would they do that? Because they don't really want to catch these athletes. That's why. Victor, it feels like, I don't have the data to back this up, but it feels like in football and basketball, those are the sports I follow the closest, there are more injuries, more missed games than in previous eras. I think a lot of us attribute it to, oh, the athletes are just lazier and they're looking for reasons to skip games. But I'm wondering if some of it couldn't be attributed to they're taking more drugs and supplements supplements that are making them more susceptible to injuries than previous eras. I believe you're correct. Because when you use testosterone, and, and I'll explain in a minute, but people are not using anabolic steroids in professional sport these days. The granddaddy of all is testosterone. Uh, uh, anabolic steroids are just similar in structure to testosterone. But testosterone makes your muscles bigger and stronger and faster, but simultaneously they weaken your connective tissue, ligaments, and tendons. So yes, uh, the use of, of synthetic testosterone can make you more prone to injury. So let me get 
specific here while being fair. What do you think of all the conversation around LeBron James? Kevin Garnett makes a statement during a podcast that LeBron's on that new Balco, blah, blah, blah. And there's been a lot of rumors and speculation and the whole biogenesis, I think DEA investigation, people attached to LeBron were connected to that. Uh, I'm trying to ask a fair that's fair to LeBron. (laughs) Is it, should we be suspicious of the longevity of LeBron's career? Yes, there's reason for suspicion. Okay, you. I want to be fair to LeBron. There is no evidence that I know of that's conclusive, and we have to factor in what they call the standard. Like you have the the beyond a reasonable doubt in criminal court. You have the preponderance of evidence in in a civil court. Then you have what they call comfortable satisfaction that arbitrators use in the world of sport. Uh, these things that you just mentioned, his manager, his agent, his wife, his trainer, all being connected to the Biogenesis Clinic, as well as another drug dealer at, at a gym. So it wasn't just Biogenesis, there was another connection as well. And then some of this testimony that, you know, his agent uh, on a monthly basis was going by the the Biogenesis Clinic and picking up a package of PEDs with the initials LJ on them. So when you take all this information and put it together, hold on, then, hold on, Victor, Victor, Victor. That he was probably picking up for Lamar Jackson, right? No, is that maybe that's could what the, be you know, Lamar yes. Jackson? You know, yeah. Could We're be. back to the comfortable satisfaction. But I'm I'm just adding all of these things that bring this cloud of suspicion. That's what you asked me about. Should they be suspicious? And the answer is yes. You know, I, I, I'll tell you something else. When Chael Sonnen, the, the UFC MMA fighter who works for ESPN said, I'll tell you exactly what he's taking. He's using EPO. And how do I know? Because I'm using the exact same supplier to get EPO. Why has no? How, why have you or other journalists not went to Chael, got him on your show, and asked him to please explain who this guy is and how he knows that uh, uh, LeBron James is using it? I have not heard LeBron James dispute that. Not a peep, have you? No. So when something comes out, now I want to be fair to him, but let me tell you something else I know. Right before I got on this program, I called and I talked with a writer. There's a lot of articles out there. In fact, I even sent some of them to you in preparation for this case, for this this, uh, interview. This writer was on this case, this investigation for six and a half years. The word that he used was that ESPN basically blocked him from saying certain things in his articles and his reporting. He was blocked. He said there was much more in terms of information and innuendo, but they were unwilling to allow him to print this in his articles. So now we've got, you know, later I'll talk to him and see if I can get some of the specifics. But he said, listen, there's more to this than you know. So whatever that means, is that enough to say that LeBron James is guilty of using PEDs? Certainly not. But I believe this does need to be followed up and more questions need to be asked by people like yourself. A lot of people, particularly 
like in the 90s when this conversation was really piping hot, it's like people, okay, yeah, Olympic athletes use steroids or PEDs, uh, baseball players, home run chase, they use it, and football players. It's like people thought like, well, basketball players, they're too athletic. They don't need to use performance-enhancing drugs. They, they, there's no reason. And then Derrick Rose, uh, at the apex of his career, he complained and said, like, man, I think like 70% of these guys are, are, are cheating in some capacity. And, and I don't think people fully grasp that performance-enhancing drugs help basketball players just as much as any other sport. Absolutely. EPO, like, like Charles Sonnen said, the big three are growth hormone, testosterone, and EPO. And let me explain why those are the big three. Because they're what is called endogenous hormones. Your body produces those naturally. So when you add exogenous or from the outside, regardless of the delivery system, a needle, a cream, a pill, a, <clears throat> inserting a, a trochee, uh, whatever it may be, they have difficulty differentiating between what your body produces and what comes from outside. So you've got these allowable limits there. And there's they're lenient, let's put it that way. So does it give you the opportunity to use these drugs? And like I said before, as an example with testosterone, if you normally make seven milligrams a day of testosterone and the allowable limit is 28, why can't you push it up to 21 and triple your testosterone level and still be below the allowable limit? Let me also talk for a moment about growth hormone. This is important. They have a new species, I don't know how new it is, but newer than, than regular growth hormone, and it's called IGF-1, which stands for insulin-like growth factor 1, and it's a specific type called long R3. Now, the difference is growth hormone is in milligrams and IGF-1 is in micrograms. It is much more potent, okay? Here's the take-home message. <clears throat> you ready, Jason? You can buy yep. it online. You can buy it from a pharmacy over the counter in Mexico. It's readily available. It's more powerful than growth hormone. And they have no test for it. It's undetectable. Okay. So, so what does this tell you? It tells you that it's fairly easy. Could they, could they improve the testing? Yes. Could they lower these allowable limits? Could they use the carbon isotope ratio instead of the TE ratio test, which costs more money, like double, but much more effective? <clears throat> In the NBA, my understanding is they only test four times a year. Well, out of 82 games, that means they're testing what percent? A very small percent. And they only test them at the facilities. So this is important to understand. Drug use by elite athletes today is done at night. Olympic athletes have to fill out what they call a whereabouts form, letting them know where you are. And you have what they call a one-hour window that you put on the form. I'm going to be at this gym for this hour on a daily basis so many days a week. But they wait till after that time passes. Now you can do a microdose injection, and you've got the remainder of the evening and the nighttime. And by the time the morning comes, your levels are back down below the allowable limit. So this is very easy to circumvent. 
so they can use all of these drugs. IGF-1 with no detection, growth hormone, maybe it's detectable for 24 to 36 hours. EPO, they microdose and fly right under the radar. <clears throat> so you can use the big three, as Jail Sonnen called them, with relative ease if you understand the use of drugs and the, the type of detection capability of the anti-doping entities, and you understand that it's fairly easy to guide somebody, an elite uh, NBA player, let's say, uh, to, to be able to use these drugs. And would they be effective? Let's just put it in perspective. Back in the Balco days, I worked with a, a sprinter who was number eight in the world. And when I realized that, as an example, I was there in Seoul in 1988 when Ben Johnson ran 979 uh, and, and uh, got, set the world record and won the gold medal. And 48 hours later, all, all hell broke loose, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I don't know if you saw the documentary 979, but it was either seven out of eight or eight out of nine of the, the sprinters in that race later either had positive tests or admitted to the use of drugs. It's, I don't want to say everyone's doing it. I like to use the word the overwhelming majority. So when recently you said the basketball player said 70% in the NBA, somebody asked me this question, question recently. I said, back in the Balco days, I would guess it would be 80% overall, all sports, a general number. And today it might be 60%, but it's still a majority. Oh, so you do think it's gone down? I think it's gone down some, because, and especially in boxing, because they have more effective testing, and they don't have the in and out of competition lists where you know what you're being tested for. VADA tests for all prohibited substances at all times. In other sports, you have a 1% positive rate. Because of the improvement in the techniques and methods of VADA, they have a 4% positive rate. So they're four times more effective at, at catching people. So it can be improved. You have said in this interview, like, yeah, I could fix this problem. They should hire me. Obviously, you have an interest and a passion now for the anti-doping movement. Have any of the leagues, NFL, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, do any of them stay in communication with you? Do they consult with you? Do they look to you for advice on how to combat any of this? They do not. They avoid me like the plague. However, WADA, the World Anti-Doping Association chairman, Dick Pound, did reach out to me, and I did meet with him. I went to New York, and I met with him for three and a half hours, and I gave him an enormous amount of information. <clears throat> and this was back during the George Mitchell investigation of baseball in the 2007 uh, timeframe, December. And so I gave him all this information, and then I, I told him later that uh, they, they didn't respond. He turned it over to WADA. And then I got access to a, a designer substance uh, from the dark side. And I submitted it to Dick Pound and the laboratory of WADA that's in Montreal, Canada. And they followed up and they tested this. And they thought it was connected with testosterone, but it was not. It was really a concentrated form of uh, sesame seed oil extract that they, they, they were injecting. So three years later, when I called back and talked to Dick and I said, Dick, listen, it's been three years since I've given you all this information and nothing has happened. And he said, well, let me, I said, what I'd like you to do is go back and get the minutes of our three and a half hour meeting 
and look at what I said and then tell me what they've done with that information. He said, give me a couple days, let me talk to them at WADA and I'll get back to you. He called me back a couple days later and he said, Victor, I'm sorry to inform you, but I've been told that the minutes to our meeting have been destroyed. They don't want to know, Jason. They don't want to know. You, you mentioned that you had some communication with an ESPN reporter. D does ESPN, are they comfortable? Like, seems like they should be interviewing you on TV and maybe quoting you in stories. Well, does that well back happen? in the day, back in the day, I did many, many, many interviews with, with ESPN. There's one <clears throat> that I think you would like in, uh, that was done by ESPN <clears throat> where I said, you have business executives taking Prozac to enhance their performance. You have women getting nose jobs and boob jobs and butt jobs to catch a better man. You have guys taking drugs, trying, trying to turn themselves from a dud into a stud under the sheets with Viagra. We live in a performance-enhanced society. Let's face it. Now, I recently did a, a program, an interview about these new enhanced games. Have you heard about them? Vaguely. Steve Kim's mentioned them to me, I think. But. Well, here's what it is. One of the, the partners of Elon Musk was the co-founder of PayPal, who's a billionaire, has put up the money with another billionaire to create games called the Enhanced Games that is supposed to be starting in 2025, and they will have combat sports, swimming, track and field, all, all the different Olympic sports, where they get to use all the drugs they like under the medical supervision, because they want to see, can they really break Usain Bolt's world record, et cetera, et cetera. So when they asked me about it, I said, well, I don't know why they would call it the enhanced games, because we already have the enhanced games called the Olympics. Victor, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. Uh, now that I know I can crack jokes with you, we're gonna. I'm, hopefully, I'm gonna bring you back, and uh, we can talk about when any of these issues come up. We can talk about it, and we can uh, joke about it. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, have a great weekend. And uh, for you, those of you in the fearless audience, we'll play some tomorrow. And uh, me and Shamika will uh, see you on Saturday. Thank you. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving, all deceiving, we all want to be free. We want freedom.